Konasti, how are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast and this episode is a very special episode. My name is Aaron and I'm one of the co-founders of Candlelit Tales. Six years ago, Surika, my sister and I started telling the thorn in the stag's head in Dublin. And to celebrate, we're bringing back the thorn. And this is one of a three-part episode. The following week, Rory O'Shea joined us to play music with us for the very first time. And he's been doing it ever since. And in this episode, it is Rory O'Shea and Sorica, my sister, who joined forces to bring you the Tawn, part one. Of course, we can't do this without any support. So if you'd like to support us, go over to patreon.com forward slash candlelittales. And now, sit back and enjoy this very special telling. Long and long and long ago, the spirits of these two great bulls that this tale tells us about were born to an Ireland of a different time. A time before the Celts first came here, a time that was ancient when this ancient tale was new, when the magical Tua de Danann walked these lands. In Connacht at that time, there was a king's swineherd named Rucht, and he had a friend in Munster, the swineherd of Munster, and his name was Fruach. And the two of them were great friends until the day they weren't. Jealousy came between them, resentment and a hate so strong it could only have started with love. First they fought with fist, then sword and shield, then they cast spells against each other and they found they were equally matched, but they could not stop the fight. Everywhere they went they could not stop fighting. And everywhere they went, the fighting would spread out from them like ripples in a pool. They both lost their positions, as they were cast out in their bitter hatred to keep away from peaceful people until they put their quarrel aside. But they would not put their quarrel aside. Instead, they shape-shifted, changing shape to fit a new form to try and get the better of one another. As black birds they fought, cawing and clawing, fighting and setting up such a racket that no baby in the whole of Ireland could get a wink of sleep. They became wolves then, circling and growling, snapping and snarling, but still there was not a bit between them. In the forests of Ireland, two great stags were spotted, clashing their spreading antlers together, sharp hooves flying as they belled and reared and crashed. But no matter how they tested their strength, there was no difference between them. They became shadow phantoms on the wall, flickering and darting, piercing and stabbing at one another. And anyone who saw them died of fright in that moment, but still, there was not a bit between them. Great sea monsters they became, with scales like shields and teeth like swords, churning the ocean into foam, reddening the waves with the blood they drew from one another's sides, roaring 
and rending and tearing. But equal they had been, and equal they stayed. So they changed once more. This time they became eels, small and agile, with all the colours of the rainbow on them. They writhed and twisted against one another, each trying to wrap around the other and snap him in half, but still they could not get the better of one another. And then the pool that they were in was flooded in a heavy rain. The two small eels were swept away, and at the fork of the river one eel was carried one way, and the other eel was carried the other way. They were washed down rivers and into the sea and around and around and around the rivers and seas of Ireland they swam and were swirled, searching for each other, even as the memories faded. And they forgot who and what they were and knew only the cold water and the search and the hate that still burned bright within them. Ireland changed around them. But eels know nothing of Ireland. At last, after years and years and more years, Queen Maeve of Connacht drew water for her cattle in a bucket from the river and did not see inside that bucket a small rainbow-coloured eel. And on that same day in Coolee in Ulster, Dara was watering his own cows and two cows in those two provinces at the same time bent their heavy heads down to drink. And in that instant, in the same lap licked by those two cows, each one swallowed down a small, rainbow-coloured eel. And inside the bellies of these two cows, their form changed, but the spirits remained the same. Now new life grew, and out of those cows, two bulls were born. This part of the story starts at Cruachon I, the stronghold of Queen Maeve of Connacht. Now Queen Maeve was the most beautiful woman in Ireland. She had masses of red-gold hair and she was strong and as sharp as a dagger. And she was lying beside her husband Oliel one morning when he took her in his arms fondly and he gave her a little squeeze and he said, Isn't it true what they say, that it's a lucky woman who marries a wealthy man? And Maeve, Queen of all Connacht, looked at him and said, I suppose it is, but I don't know what made you think of that. And Oliel said, Well, you know, I'm the brother of the King of Leinster, and my other brother is the High King of all Ireland. I'm just saying, I was a pretty good catch. And Maeve said, Well, I mean, I am the Queen of Connacht. My father was the former High King of all Ireland, and I was wealthy long before I met you. Now Oliel then said, Well, you were wealthy, but it was the wealth of a woman, and any warrior could have just come along and taken what he wanted from you. At which point, Queen Maeve stopped smiling. She said, 
I think you're forgetting, Olil, my consort, who's not even the king, that I am a warrior. I have fought against the men of Ulster, I've fought against our enemies many times, and I have taken many heads from many shoulders. And I was courted by many men, offered marriage by kings and sons of kings, and I only agreed to marry you because you fulfilled my three conditions. You were as brave as me. You were as generous as me. And you agreed to have no jealousy, because Queen Maeve never had a man without another man waiting outside. Now this argument raged on, and it did not stop because Oliel's pride rose up to match Queen Maeve's, and he would not let the subject go, and so they decided the only way to settle this matter would be to take account of all of their belongings, until they could figure out which one of them was wealthier than the other, and so which of them was lucky to be married to the other. Now, this was not as easy in those days as going to your bank and asking for a statement. They had to count everything they owned. They started with their clothing. All of Maeve's gowns and all of Oliel's fine tunics and every one of them was a match for the other. And then their jewellery, their gold and their silver and their bronze and precious stones and there was nothing that Maeve had that Oliel didn't have the match of. And then they went to livestock. Pigs, exactly the same. Sheep, exactly the same. But then they came to matching their cattle, and there they finally found a difference. Because in all eels heard, there was a bull. A magnificent bull, called Fionnbanach. A bull with white horns. And he was so big that ten men could play hurling on his back if they were brave enough to climb up on the back of this red-eyed brute. Now, Oliel realised that Maeve was not going to let this thing go and he feared the consequences of this fight that he'd started, so he said, "Okay, that's technically your bull, really, so let's let this go now and maybe I can stop sleeping on the couch? But the people of Connacht had noted this fight, and now they weren't sure which one of the two was in charge, and confusion and discord was breaking out all around, and so Maeve knew that she was going to have to see this through until the bitter end. Maeve said, You know as well as I do that this bull was born in my herds, but he wouldn't be owned by a woman, and so he ran off to you. And I, being generous, gave him to you as a gift. And she sent out messengers then. She sent them ranging all through Ireland, looking high and low for a bull that was the match of Fionnbanach, the Whitehorn bull of Crookhorn Eye. Now of all the places in Ireland, the only place that they could find a match for this terrible great beast was in Ulster. Queen Maeve of Connacht and King Crohor MacNessa of Ulster had a bitter rivalry spanning decades. So great was the hatred between them, they had both taken the lives of each other's sons in battles gone by. But when Maeve heard there was a bull to match the Whitehorned, she did not hesitate. 
She sent messengers to Dara of Kuli, who owned the great Don Kuinle, the brown bull, to ask his permission to loan the bull to Stud for just a year. And in return, Dara would get great lands and titles, great friendship, as well as the friendship of Maeve's thighs. And so Dara agreed to this and to all that she offered. And he gave Maeve's messengers a great feast then to celebrate. Until too many drinks were drunk and one of Maeve's messengers said, Well, it's a good thing you said yes, because if you hadn't, Queen Maeve would have taken the bull anyway. Now at this insult, Dara threw them out on their ear. Flat out they lay and Dara said, Do you really think she could come here to Ulster and take what she wanted? Between her and the brown bull stand the red branch, the heroes of Ulster. Even the boys troop their sons are trained so that they themselves would stand against any army Queen Maeve might send. So... If Maeve wants the brown bull of Cooley, let her come and take him, if she can. Maeve was not delighted with her messengers when they came back, but she had to concede that Dara of Cooley had a point. The Red Branch were indeed the finest warriors in all of Ireland. But just a short time later... And much to her surprise, there came to her door a good half of the men of the Red Branch of Ulster. And they looked like they had been through the wars, covered in cuts and bruises and with fire in their eyes. They were led by Fergus MacRoy, who had been the King of Ulster before Crohor MacNessa. Now he arrived at the gates of Cruachon Eye, and he told Queen Maeve that they had come to her because their king had betrayed them, and Fergus had sworn to take his head. And Maeve said, Well, Fergus, this is an interesting coincidence. This is lining up very nicely with some of my own plans. So she welcomed Fergus into her house, and then she welcomed Fergus into her bed. Fergus McRoy, of course, was known for having a very big sword. She did say to Fergus... He still has half of the Red Branch, and how is any army I gather together going to stand against half of the Red Branch when they are in their stronghold there at Awanmacha? Then Fergus looked at her and he said, I will tell you Ulster's greatest kept secret. You see, I was once the king of Ulster, but the kingship was stolen away from me by the trickery and cunning of Crohor and his mother. Now I don't begrudge him that. I was still loyal to Ulster, but in his early days as king, he made one awful mistake. He offended the goddess Maka, you see. He made her race against his prize horses when she was heavily pregnant to prove a stubborn point. She still won, but the race caused her to lose the twins, still born they were. She was so angry with him for that that she cursed the fighting men of Ulster for nine generations that in their greatest time of need when they needed their strength, from the time they were old enough to grow hair on their faces, they would be struck down by the pains of childbirth for nine days and nine nights and lie sleeping for nine days after that. Now that was his only mistake, 
and that too I could forgive, until he broke his word and killed the sons of Ishnuk, who I was sworn to protect. Now when she heard this news, that as soon as she invaded and they needed their strength, the men of Ulster would be struck down by the pains of a woman in childbirth, Maeve was only delighted. She started sending for all of her allies. Maeve had had six sons, and she named them all Manya, and she sent them out to be fostered with different families all over Ireland, to build strong alliances with powerful people. And she called on all of the people of Ireland to come to her now, to assemble their fighting men there in Cruachon Eye, and their payment would be to march into an Ulster that was open and empty and completely undefended. And there they would be able to take whatever they wanted, and nobody would stand in their way at all. Now all of her allies answered, because when Queen Maeve tells you to come, you drop what you're doing and you go. Maeve decided to make her new lover Fergus McRoy the general of this great army, and for the very first time in their married life, Oliel felt the pangs of jealousy. Because Maeve was not only spending her nights with this man, she was also preferring his company to Oliel's. So Oliel sent a servant to steal the great sword of Fergus MacRoy, Leocon. Fergus awoke to find his scabbard empty, and because he couldn't go about unarmed in front of his army, he couldn't admit that the sword was missing. He carved a sword out of oak and kept it in his scabbard pretending that he still had his great sword, Leocon. Now Maeve was riding around in her chariot to survey her great army laid out on the plains before they set out for Ulster, and as she drove, a mist and a shimmer came up between the two horses pulling her chariot. And there, sitting suddenly, was a fairy woman with gold hair. And she looked up at Maeve with a little smile, and she said... I have a prophecy for you, Queen Maeve. You will be successful. You will get your bull, and you yourself will come back unharmed. But as to this army I see before me, I see them all crimson. I see them all red. And Maeve said, Now, now, look again, because there is no one to oppose us in Ulster. It must be the light of the setting sun in your eyes. But again the little fairy woman said, I see them all crimson, I see them all red. And Maeve said, How is it, with no army to stand against them, that you see this coming to be? And the woman said, I see them all crimson, I see them all red, and I see running among them a little dark hound, and they falling before him like wheat before a scythe. Now when she heard that her own quest would be successful, Maeve decided to say nothing to anybody else. She turned her army north and they began to march, and at that moment in Awanmaka, all the men of the Red Branch were struck down by the pains of a woman in childbirth. 
Now when Maeve got to the border of Ulster, she found there a very strange sight. There was a standing stone right on the border, and someone had pulled up an entire oak tree, tied it in a knot around the standing stone, and then, in Oam writing, carved onto it. Let no man pass this point, unless he can do the same feat as I have done. And it was signed by the Hound of Ulster. Thank you for listening. As always, stay tuned and you'll hear the rest of the Thawn in the next episode and the one after that, as it's a three-part episode. You can pop on over to candletales.ie to find out more about what we're doing. Go to YouTube if you want to hear the stories of videos that we have and we're releasing. Whenever we do a live stream chat, you'll get the notification on that. And if you'd like to help us out with some monetary value, you can go to patreon.com forward slash candletales and help us out that way. Or go to candletales.ie and follow the PayPal button to give us a once-off donation. Every little helps. If you like what we do, leave a review, share, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. YouTube has a few videos as well, specifically for kids. Hashtag Candlelittletales. This episode was produced and edited by Rory O'Shea with help from Oshin Ryan, as ever. The story was by Aaron Hegarty and Surika Hegarty, read by Surika Hegarty. Stay tuned for part two and we'll be coming at you very soon. <laughs>